HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today is the penultimate show of 2021. And the penultimate show of the year on Tech Bytes is always a look back and a year in review. And today to take a look at what happened in 2021 with us is returning guest Rachel Nemeth, She is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Opus Training, but it's worth noting that back in November of 2019, when we first met her on episode 191, her company was called ESL Works. And in May of 2020, episode 207, her company was still called ESL Works, and she had launched another platform called StopCovid.co. And right after, sometime right after that, the company then rebranded and turned into Opus Training. And now we have her to talk to us, not just about the evolution of her own company, but the evolution of the hospitality and service industry, because Opus Training is about training frontline workers and staff using mobile technology. So the business of her business will tell us about the business. Rachel, thank you for joining us again this morning. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the lovely intro. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, I went back um, in, ter- in, in preparing the notes for this show. I went back to heritageradionetwork.org and looked at the Tech Bytes page and scrolled through to look at the episodes for this year um, and to see when the first time was that you were on. And I was kind of amazed to see that you were on in November 2019, <laughs> um, you know, and the title of the episode, it's episode 191, it's ESL Works Language Tech for Restaurants. And yeah. it was just really the on, on the, the precipice of the big global COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, we were just a few months away from, you know, completely shutting everything down. And what we talked about on that episode, it seems like a lifetime ago, not just in terms of the way the world works, but also in terms of um, the life stage of your company. Mm. Yeah. 
And yet it's still so relevant at the same time, but kind of in a different way because we're living in a different world. Mm -hmm. So why don't you, I mean, just to sort of bring um, listeners up to speed who maybe um, are not longtime faithful listeners who haven't um, listened since November of 2019, but maybe they'll be motivated to go back into the archives and check out some older episodes. Uh, Just tell us really quickly, what is mobile first training for workers? What does that mean? Yeah, so, um, well, mobile first training is uh, about learning on a personal device, but it's all kind of driven by this staggering statistic that 80% of the global workforce does not sit at a desk all day, and yet 99% of technology that's funded is built for the people who do sit at a desk. So if you think about the the servers that are at restaurants and the cooks in the kitchen, um, all of those individuals aren't sitting at a desk and don't have access to um, not only to good technology, but to, to computers. Um, so mobile first must be the way that we reach our people on the front line. Um, and it sounds like it's such a simple statement, mobile first, but it's a really powerful approach that can help employers um, get new knowledge to their people and, and keep their people engaged. It seems so obvious when you say it, you know, as you're just articulating it and explaining it, it seems so obvious that, you know, if, if you think about the people that you will come in contact with over the course of your day or your week, being out in the world, accessing services and products and food and shopping and all those types of things, you're not going to encounter really anyone sitting behind a desk. Right. It's going to be salespeople in the store. Maybe you go to a gym, your trainer, um, a barista, you know, someone in the subway, all those things. Nobody is sitting at a desk. So it, it makes so much sense. In the, in the first time we met and we were talking about ESL Works, which was premised on helping staff learn English as a second language because communication is one of the key, 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 key elements to a successful work environment, team experience for everyone across the board. Um, you were using WhatsApp as, as, as the platform, which again was also just so obvious and so smart because it was something that most people already had in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And WhatsApp is still an amazing tool. <laughs> <laughs> so take us through the evolution. When we were, when you um, spoke with us in May of 2020, you had just launched um, a platform called StopCovid.co, which was really about um, providing critical, in some instances, potentially life-saving information to business owners, workers, staff, frontline people um, as a service, really, mm-hmm. um, yeah. more than um, a, a profit, uh, for-profit um, venture. At that point in time, though, May 2020, you I went back and looked at my notes again. Your email was still ESL work. So tell us, <laughs> tell us what has happened from that moment in time where you were really, you were at the front lines in terms of trying to help the people on the front lines also staying informed. And like, it seemed that in, in 2020 at that period in time, and even still now, um, information changes moment to moment. Yeah. And that's just it. Um, you know, everything that we do at Opus is about access. 
everything that we did at ESL Works was about access and Stop COVID was about access. Everything is about reaching people. And it's an incredibly difficult problem to solve when 110 million Americans are uh, a part of a distributed workforce, a workforce that doesn't sit at a desk. So the, the dime story here is that my first company, ESL Works, when you and I met, Jen, um, uh, delivered English, of, English training over SMS and WhatsApp. Um, if you're not familiar, it's a chat platform. Um, and that was initially, it was about reaching the 25% of the um, culinary workforce that doesn't speak English with meaningful industry-focused training. And, and of course, using phones and using text message was the, the most accessible way to do that. Then fast forward to May 2020, um, we, you know, when, when the entire world shut down and when restaurants went dark, um, at least for dine-in, delivery was still happening. <laughs> Grocery stores were still operating. Um, people were still working and uh, businesses needed to keep their people safe. And so we ended up um, using the same platform that we had to deliver text message training. We um, kind of re-architected it in order to deliver COVID safety training as a public service for any business, not just restaurants. Um, and that was solving this really critical need. You know, we think back on the past couple of years, and now, of course, it's it's a no-brainer to wear a mask. It's a no-brainer to wash your hands constantly and, you know, to get your flu shot and your COVID vaccine. But that wasn't the case <laughs> in, in April of of 2020. Nobody knew how to wear a mask properly. And if they did, they didn't know what kind of mask to wear. They didn't know about social distancing. And employers needed a consistent knowledge source for their team. So we developed a platform to deliver really easy chat-based COVID safety training to tens of thousands of workers for free. Um, and then, um, you know, for us as a business, um, it was really clear that we could solve the larger problem. This was always our vision was to expand into training that could serve every kind of use case. But COVID really um, cemented that. And we were able to identify a, a larger need beyond ESL training, beyond COVID training that just helped employers reach their people. That's where Opus came alive. And Opus, um, and, and I'm sure you'll want to get into this, Jen, but Opus in Latin means a life's work. Um, and for us, it was always about um, kind of expanding the platform to support employers with any kind of, of training. Um, so we ended up um, evolving uh, the brand and the company in order to um, really reach the vision that we're, we're striving for. I always think of Opus in terms of classical music. You know, the big conductors, the Mozart, mm -hmm. the Beethoven, they have the, ma the their mass, their opus work, which is, you know, the culmination piece, like very complicated, um, very deep, you know, something revolutionary that, you know, they, they remembered for over centuries at this stage for some of them. Um, I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's because it's Latin, maybe because a lot of classical music is in Latin, but I always think of it in terms of that. So yeah. you're... Your company, certainly the long-term vision, even from back when we met in 2019, was about 
you know, reaching this population, communicating information. Information is, um, you know, critical for success, not just for the individual, but for the organization and the business. It's also information is the great democratizer and sort of levels the playing field if everyone has the same information. Um, and then sort of meeting people where they are and can learn, you know, sort of the, I think the public school system and many businesses went through issues like that over the course of 2020 and still in 2021 now, how do they communicate with people when you're remote, when you're not physically in the same place as in, as is, you know, many cases with the restaurant industry. What I'll, I'll ask you first, like, let's talk about 2021, um, in, in sort of two ways. Let's talk about it first in terms of from, um, the Opus point of view, um, mm-hmm. coming out of 2020, coming into 2021, insofar as you can, I mean, I know you've had long-term, um, a long-term roadmap for the company. Has the pandemic and COVID-19 reinforced your point of view about what mm-hmm. you think the issues are, you know, in the training in businesses, did it force a, a pivot in what you thought you were going to do? Did it um, really vet it and then just accelerate it? Yeah. Is it? I mean, I'm also assuming that just like for so many things, it's it's got to be extremely difficult to be planning in an environment where it's so volatile. Well, I mean, that's just it, right? We should be building. Um, a platform that's agile enough that it can support employers in the most unpredictable of circumstances. This will not be the only pandemic that we face in the next two, three decades. And or, or even now. <laughs> exactly. And and you know, like this is there's um, the, the entire world is changing. And so you have to think about technology as responding to the unplanned events, not the planned ones. We can handle the planned events, right? Um, but you have to be able to, on a moment's notice, and I'll kind of give you the trivial example, and then I'll give you, you know, the, the extreme example. Think about restaurants and menu changes, These things happen every week, every month, every quarter, depends on the restaurant group. A lot of businesses use Opus not only for, you know, the ongoing, you know, new hire training or anti-harassment training. They're using it because they have a new dish that they need to educate their workforce on. It it could be day to day. You could you could have you could have your fish vendor say, sorry, you know, we don't have any you know, we don't have any salmon. So today, you know, we're changing the fish dish. It's going to be sole. Well, and that's just the extreme example. This isn't just about your fish vendor not having soul. We have supply chain issues, critical supply chain issues, and employers have to change their procedures and their menus, what have you, from day to day and make these last minute decisions that impact how their team works and, of course, how their customers receive receive their service and their product. So... Um, that's why Opus exists. It's to help employers educate their team quickly without the need for those people to be instructional designers. Like we, we carry the weight of that <laughs> by making a really beautiful, easy platform, but employers need a tool that can help them. And this is important. It's not just about communicating with your team. It's about verifying that they understand and giving them a platform to, um, to really kind of cement that learning. 
So this isn't like Slack for the front line. It's not like sending an email out to your team. This is actually about sending a digital lesson to your team that's interactive, that teaches them something, and that um, you know gives them a quick quiz, if you'd like, in order to really kind of certify them in a skill or in a new piece of knowledge. And that's like really the beginnings of, of Opus. Yeah. So using the restaurant menu change idea as an example, a lot of restaurants will address menu changes in the pre-service meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you physically bring everybody into the kitchen, the wait staff, you know, the cooks and the chef or someone will say, so today here's the menu, here are the changes that we have, here's what it is, maybe people taste it, they look at it, they talk about, you know, what the specials are and all that business. And then everybody leaves and goes to start service. So if we look at Opus is the platform for that one, people don't physically need to actually make it into the kitchen or be there for the pre-service meeting if they're physically not there or in a different part of the restaurant or their shift is coming later. But then after that pre-service meeting, people just leave and go on about their day. Mm -hmm. They don't have to stop and take a quiz to leave the kitchen (laughs) to make sure that they've actually understood all the details of, of what was just communicated to them. Yeah. Um, well, you know, quizzing is, is kind of, is one kind of small component, but, um, this is already happening in businesses right now. Like we see our customers convert from paper training to Opus because they can't track stacks and stacks of quizzes. Like businesses are already trying to find ways to verify that their team understands. It's not just about accountability. It's also about tracking knowledge, you know, making sure everyone has a consistent understanding of processes and procedures, maybe a new um, SOP, you know, standard operating procedure with respect to safety. Um, You have to find ways to not only check the box, but also to ensure that your team is going to execute and kind of transfer that knowledge back to work. So this just makes it easy for you to validate that without putting extra work on your managers. And that's the critical piece. Businesses have to do more with less right now. That is an enormous change that we've seen across the industry. Managers are stretched thin they're stretched to cost, you know, a GM who was once overseeing one location is now overseeing four and running between them. So those middle managers are so critical to these operations, but they need technology to help them, um, you know, (laughs) train and track their team. Um, So we have to to focus on saving time uh, in addition to, to helping people save money while at the same time, you know, kind of keeping their workforce steady. (laughs) Acquiring that workforce first, perhaps, is is, um, a a bigger challenge even sometimes. So, you know, the interesting thing is that so many of the companies that we talked to over the course of this year that were innovative, that are innovative, and whether that be um, something technology or a food product or, you know, a, a platform for sales, because they were innovative and meant to uh, be disruptive or be outside the system or do something new, the structure of the companies and the way they function was built to be outside the system. So when mm-hmm. you know, we had this, had this tremendous breakdown of all systems in 2020, from supply chain to technology to communication to transportation to everything, many of these innovative companies were okay because they were built to be 
on the on the edges and not within the existing system. Was that the case for you? Do you think in in twenty twenty one with with Opus? No, I mean uh, business. I mean us as a business for sure. We were able to you know because we're a software company, we were able to kind of adjust and, and mold. But if you're talking about businesses and what we saw with the businesses that we serve, um, very few businesses were prepared um, to engage their workforce, um, in new ways. Um, so, you know, businesses are, are really focusing now on modernizing their technology in order to, um, be prepared for what's next. Um, this isn't going away. And so I think it was, there was a lot of shell shock for, for restaurants and, um, but we continue to see their tech stack grow because um, you just can't. Um, you, you need systems to to kind of keep <laughs> keep your business in line now. So just from uh, my... I have no other way of putting it except like the tech stack is growing. Um, I hope it's just not becoming more complicated for people. <laughs> so just from a top line point of view, what what were some of the um, you know top tech issues that you saw over the course of 2021 from businesses and what were some of the um, most uh, popular or most used solves? And before we even go into that, explain to people really briefly what a tech stack is. Yeah. All of our listeners might not know. <laughs> so tech stack, uh, and for anyone listening, I am not a coder. So I, when I started the company, I had to learn all these things from our amazing product team. Um, <laughs> but a tech stack is basically the kind of bundle of software services that you have. So if you're a restaurant, for example, um, you might have a delivery stack. So that could be, you know, the kind of big third party players, but you also might have a first party delivery platform that you're using. In addition to that, you might have a tech stack around your people operations. So you might have an HR management system, a hiring platform, a training platform. Um, most businesses have a tech stack, but they don't call it that. <laughs> they really just kind of uh, talk, think about, you know, what kind of software they're using to to keep their business running. So, and also they have um, ordering systems and point of sale systems oh, yeah, and POS, inventory yeah. systems and um, HR systems and things like that. It's all those. And the good ones are invisible. <laughs> right. And the bad ones are old and need date, need equipment that nobody uses anymore. Yeah. It's almost like if you need a password and an account name for it, like that's part of your tech stack. And you probably have a personal one on your phone also. <laughs> well, you were asking about like the top line pieces of that, you know, the top line elements of, of technology that we saw in the last year that have really either like shifted or, or kind of come to the surface. Um, I'm going to keep saying this, this word because we're bullish on it. It's about access. Three out of four employees don't have an active email. That is alarming. And yet three, every system three out, out of four, there, three out of four employees, employees do not have an active email. Does that mean they don't have an active email within the company space? You know, I no. have tech bytes at heritageradionetwork.org. So that's my business email. No, it means that they don't have any email that they're actually using. So no personal email. It, it means they might have a personal email, but they are probably not using it. Three out of four, 
of employees do not have an active email. And if you think any sous chef who's listening right now is nodding their head because they know exactly what I'm talking about, the amount of times you have to log somebody in with a fake email or with your own email wow. into is, is pretty, like I had to do it when I was in restaurants is, you know, you, they have to like text a family member to figure out what the shared, you know, this is just such right. a common problem right. with frontline teams. And so it's a no, it was a no brainer for us, especially since we were so familiar with text message technology to ensure that it was easy for people to get into Opus. So mm-hmm. everything that you do on Opus, your identifier is your, your phone number. Mm. Um, it's not an email, it's such an, a logical way to get into a system. And I think we're going to see that um, changing over the course of the next several years. So the, the employers are getting frustrated. <laughs> they, you know, this is not only time, but it's money when, you know, your person in human resources or your director of ops is spending most of their time just trying to get people access to things. Um, if you can't get into a system, then why are you investing in it? It's an excellent question. Excellent question. <laughs> Excellent question. Um, you know, I get so many pitches from um, software companies, restaurant software companies, platforms, you know, artificial intelligence, AI is, is very popular and buzzy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how software will help restaurants make more money and retain their staff better by finding you know, pieces of data that will be helpful for them to, you know, make decisions and, and things like that. Um, and I'm always just sort of a little dubious as to how successful they could actually be because I, you, you can have all of the data in the world, but if you don't have someone who can understand it and then act on it, it sort of doesn't do you any good from one right. point of view. Um, and it's very interesting. There are very few things that are functioning on a, on a new platform or something that's leaner or something that's more accessible. I, I almost picture all these old systems, you know, running on like big, big, like desktop PCs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, and you're right. I mean, that's why the market right now is ripe for innov- innovation. We're seeing a lot of employers who are switching to more modern solutions and they might even be a little bit more expensive, but they, the benefits outweigh the costs when you don't actually have to have a dedicated administrator to manage these systems anymore. It can be something that a sous chef for once can, can literally just like do on their phone. (laughs) Um, So for example, you know, the, the kind of classic example of this is scheduling systems they're notorious for being inaccessible to back of house teams, to kitchen teams. And now you're seeing, you know, when I was working uh, in kitchens, it was the same way where the entire front of house team was on the scheduling platform. The entire back of house team was still reading the Excel spreadsheet that was in the sous chef office downstairs. (laughs) And, um, you know, there's a great divide when it comes to access between the front of house and the back of house. There's a lot more technology built for service teams than there are for kitchen teams. That's a whole other podcast episode. Um, (laughs) But my point is, is that this is about consistent access. And it's, it's a hard problem to solve. But if you do it right, um, that you can ensure that the system that you're investing in is one that everyone's going to use. And it has to start with great scheduling software. And then the second piece, of course, is 
a, um, a great training platform that everyone has access to. Did you have to do anything different for 2021, really? Or did you just follow your roadmap for growth and everyone understood what mm-hmm. you were doing? Did, did the pandemic sort of eliminate a need for you to have to explain your services to people or why that's positive? Interesting. I think, yes, um, it was a lot more, we were kind of ahead of our time in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I would agree with that. And yeah, and, and I didn't, um, you know, in retrospect, I know it, I think at the time I was, you know, a, a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed <laughs> CEO who um, knew that this was going to happen, you know, and that knew that I could, I could help people understand the benefits of mobile first training. Um, but I think we didn't really see the, the sea change until the pandemic happened where businesses quite literally could not reach their people. Um, so we don't have to explain the value of mobile first technology anymore. Um, it's such a, a kind of logical solution for businesses. Certainly 2020 and now 2021 Mm -hmm. is definitely a time when many things that businesses and people thought were not possible. Oh, we can't do that. We can't work from home. We can't do a a live podcast remotely and not see anyone's (laughs) face while we talk to them. (laughs) You know, we can't do all these things. And then suddenly actually we can. And I, I, I mean, I don't, know if this is entirely accurate, but certainly my, um, my observations is, you know, back in November of 2019, when we first spoke, you were obviously very passionate and dedicated to the idea of giving everybody access to information and making it easy and having everyone engaged and being a stakeholder in the business and the job that they have. Um, in, in a way that was very different, um, but in a way that was going to be you know, sort of revolutionary in a way and mm-hmm. was so necessary. Um, but then into 2020, the idea of that almost, you know, not that it was altruistic, but it was sort of an idea of, yes, this is the way things should be and why aren't they? Coming into 2020 with stopcovid.co, it was sort of like, not only is this the way it needs to be, but now we're in a very um, urgent life or death situation. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. the, the, the rationale went from this is really good and positive in the direction that we need to move in as an industry to this is the way we need to move in terms of like survival of people and our industry in a very literal sense. Mm-hmm. So now in 2021, have the two merged? Is there still a sense of urgency? Is the urgency less, uh, and I mean it in all sincerity, you know, mortal in terms of, you know, actually becoming sick and potentially having issues like that? Is it more the economic survival now? Is it the community survival? Is it the business survival? Where, what's the tenor now of your business and the businesses of your customers? I mean, I would assume that some of the just base um, you know, panic and urgency has, you know, downshifted and, you know, where are people now in terms of like how they feel about their business and how critical things are? 
Um, I think that the urgency is still there. It's certainly um, distributed across multiple issues, though. So it's not just about, can I keep my people safe? Now, you also have to think about um, the fact that you have a severe um, supply chain issues, Um, severe, you know, the war for talent is more intense than I've ever, than anyone has ever seen. Um, And so it's not only about like the one urgent thing, it's about the five urgent things, which is why technology is so critical for restaurants right now. And quite frankly, we're seeing a lot of businesses and I, and, you know, we're on a lot of calls just trying to like understand the, how people are feeling. Um, business owners are just tired and I don't blame them. Like they've had a hell of a last two years and they're tired of um, kind of using old systems. They're tired of churn. They're tired of um, the, the kind of, status quo. And um, that's why we're seeing a lot of folks really think about how they're going to invest in the future of, of their business, of, you know, their workforce. Um, But I don't think the urgency, I don't think COVID, (laughs) well, (laughs) uh, urgency has always existed in the restaurant industry. Um, It's like, you know, plastered on walls, right? Like create a sense of urgency, which is like the most absurd term, but (laughs) you already (laughs) are working in this like really frantic industry. Um, My point is, is that uh, it's just sort of like a different to your, to use one of your words, um, Jen, it's the tenor is very different um, and it changes from month to month and from quarter to quarter. So Time will tell what other issues arise, but I also have a lot of hope. Um, I think businesses are, are really interested in finding ways to, to modernize their, um, their systems and their processes. What are some of the top uh, requests that you've gotten in terms of um, information content and education modules? Because it's all modular, what you do yeah. in some sense. Yeah. And then there's sort of, baseline things that are universal or maybe national or maybe to state. And then you have custom pieces for each company or, you know, pieces that are maybe specific to industry because you've expanded beyond restaurant and hospitality into just Mm -hmm. things where you have frontline service people and where those, you know, 110 million deskless workers are. (laughs) Yeah. And they're everywhere. So what are some of the top things that people are asking you for now, just generally across the board? Is there something industry specific? Is there something everybody wants? What are they, what are they asking for in terms of wanting to teach their staff? Well, I think it starts with just explaining a little bit about what Opus does. So in addition to being mobile first training, we are a platform where employers can build their own training. What's happening in the world today in in the training world, and um, for those of you listening in the LMS world, which stands for learning management system, which are those kind of like, you know, decades old computer-based platforms where you go in and you are like... (laughs) kind of like hand typing um, training and and it takes like hours to upload a video, et cetera, et cetera. There's 1,200 of those systems out there right now. They're all meant to help you digitize your training 
but they're all doing the same thing and they're all built for desk workers. What Opus does is it helps you digitize your training and give your team easy access to um, your company knowledge. So employers build their own training in Opus really easily. You know, in under 10 minutes, you can build a lesson. Uh, add a video, add a fun GIF, add a quiz, and ship it out to your team. But the, con the kind of use case that people are really focused on right now is new hire training. So this isn't just about the, the urgency that's happening with respect to the war for talent. It's not just about getting your talent through the door, getting new people through the door. It's about retaining them. And so businesses realize that the longer you wait to, to train your people, the more likely it is that they're not going to stay. So from day zero, you need to make sure that you're welcoming your staff, that they're getting all of the basics, that they're certified in X, Y, and Z process. So new hire training is hands down the number one um, use for Opus right now. And this, the second most common use, it probably won't come as a surprise to anyone listening, anti-harassment training. Um, um, we are not a content provider. We, we, we partner with content um, creators and with law firms um, to, to create content. Um, and then we house that in our platform. Um, so we've partnered with uh, some of the top law labor law firms in the country in order to build our anti-harassment training. Um, and it's actually like truly enjoyable and, and interesting <laughs> and meaningful. Um, my point is, is that like the the um, anti-harassment training is, um, it's incredibly important for businesses, not only in order to kind of mitigate any, you know, um, potential legal issues, but quite frankly, that is a form of um, DE&I or diversity, equity, and inclusion training. It's the start of being a more inclusive employer is ensuring that your entire team is on board with your anti-harassment policies. And then from there, of course, you can carry it out into other forms of DE&I training. Um, but those top two uses of Opus, um, we continue to see front and center. What were the top two before? <laughs> um, was it still the same? Safety. <laughs> well, COVID safety? Okay, fair. Oh, yeah. That was number but one like, for probably was, a while. Oh, for, for like a good yeah. nine months. <laughs> it was, yeah. And But now... Um, that's shifting. So it was COVID safety and then it was vaccine awareness when the mandates mm -hmm. started coming out. Mm -hmm. um, then it was customer service training. We saw a lot of people building lessons for hosts. Mm -hmm. How do you engage with a customer who might be upset or, or refuses to wear a mask? Um, so in our world, you know, in instructional design, you call that de-escalation training. Um, so you can see how the system is built so that it's agile and can kind of like respond to any urgent training requirement that you may have at that particular time in history. So the training really does follow the headlines in many ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it follows it actually it. the headlines and follows probably what we all see in our day-to-day -day life and travels in terms of we're all, you know, you go out in the world or you see something happening in a store, you, you know, feel a certain kind of way, perhaps yourself. And then how the person deals with that. I think one of the um, uh, notable points about, you know, 2021, certainly, uh, you know, when the world opens back up and everyone comes back to work and comes out of their houses and goes back to doing things, 
people in the service industry are now required to do so many things beyond what their actual job description was mm-hmm. or initial job description. Um, I'm a you know cashier in a store, and my job you know I was hired to you know ring the register and you know pack put help someone put their groceries into a bag, and now I have to maybe deal with other issues about you know masking and COVID safety and questions and you know restaurant workers and you know all those types of things. It's really um, you know I, I think the the articles and the headlines that we would read about this topic are, you know, service people who serve the public are put in the position to make public health community decisions or enforce them Mm -hmm. or not. Almost some sort of like de facto extension of local government or, you know, government mandates and things like that. And um, that's a very, uh, serious and intense and and certainly unfair position to put someone in who you know just trying to you know make coffee in the morning you know like get people a cup of coffee um we're going to take a quick break and find out um who is sponsoring this episode heritage radio network is a 501c3 nonprofit. we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of members many of whom are listeners like you underwriters like this one coming up. If you missed our holiday auction, and I'm sad for you because there were amazing, amazing things, it is still not too late for you to support Heritage Radio Network in 2021. I promise it's the gift that keeps on giving. We've been on the air for more than a decade and hope that we have another decade in us coming up. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, We have something called the secret menu where you sign up for a monthly donation and it can be any amount. You could sign up to donate $5 a month. And based on that, you will get offers, specials from some of our really great friends and partners. We have hats and stickers and fanny packs and all kinds of swag. You can become a monthly member, a monthly donor as an individual person. And for all you CEO, founder, entrepreneur types, you can make a donation as a company. So that's my commercial for Heritage Radio Network. Um, It's a great place. It's a great platform. And uh, we would love to be talking to you next year and years to come. So think about that. And while you are listening to who's underwriting the show, stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese with intense requirements to succeed. 
Our master cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. You are listening to Tech Bites on the Heritage Radio Network, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we are doing our annual year in review. We're taking a look at 2021. And helping us look back is Rachel Nemeth, who is the CEO and co-founder of Opus Training. If you want to learn more about her company, you can go to opus.so. Um, she has been on the show since November 2019. If you want to hear some of her thoughts on other episodes, check out episode 191, episode 207. And she was also on the big food question back in December 2020, an episode about how to keep your staff up to date and safe with COVID information. Certainly 2020, we were really in a true state of emergency in terms of dealing with COVID-19 and the global pandemic. In 2021, we are still dealing with it. It's not over yet. Um, our day-to-day has changed. It's a little bit more manageable, I guess maybe is the word I will use. And companies like Opus really um, help keep people informed. And when people are informed, they can stay safer and certainly keep us safer. We're just talking about what the top requests are for businesses in terms of uh, information that they want to share with their staff. New employee training is certainly one of them. We've all read the headlines of how dire the situation is in terms of bringing um, employees back to work in the hospitality industry. Um, The second one is anti-harassment training. So that makes me ask a question. Typically, when we think about anti-harassment training, we think about it in terms of um, within a company. Uh, one employee, a supervisor, somebody has someone who has a little bit more power, you know, in the in the hierarchy of the business is potentially harassing another employee, perhaps someone who works for them, perhaps somebody who doesn't have as much power. We think about harassment training as being something inside the company and inside the workplace. But, you know, over the course of this past year, certainly um, in some of the instances we've just talked about, especially with frontline workers, they're really engaged with the public, which is why they're called frontline. Is the anti-harassment training specific to inside the company? Does it deal with frontline workers and people dealing with the public? Has that definition of anti-harassment and those types of things expanded over the course of the past year? And is that based on what companies want, what the public is doing, or is is any of this being driven by the employees themselves? Mm. So, um, well, first, I think it's important to kind of delineate the different types of anti-harassment training. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the more common forms is sexual harassment prevention um, in nine states mandated and all other states, um, you know, many other states it's recommended. Um, So that's kind of the most frequent one that that we see. And that one even, um, you know, at least with our training, um, a lot of employers want to make sure that it's not just about um, interactions with, uh, you know, your superiors, but it's also about interactions with vendors and customers. And that 
threads through all other forms of anti-harassment training, de-escalation training with customers. Um, and a lot of this came about because employers are concerned for um, the, the, the mental and physical safety of their team. Um, and of course, you know, in addition to just being compliant with, with local and state laws, this is also about positioning yourself as an employer of choice and taking responsibility for um, training your team effectively so that they feel um, psychologically um, safe when they're at work. And a lot of this demand is not only coming from employers, it's also coming from the employees. We've really seen the power dynamics shift. Um, you know, you see it in the headlines, but we've seen this time and time again at Opus that employees are demanding better training, better growth pathways, because the, um, you know, they can find a job elsewhere that will not only pay better, and, and, you know, this isn't just about pay, this is about a better working environment. This is about flexible schedules. This is about better systems and better tech, better technology. It's about um, more inclusive work environments. And all of that's kind of bubbling up from the front line. Um, and I think what we're going to see especially over the next couple of years is employers really trying to meet their people in the middle um, and, and having listening <laughs> sessions and, and sending out more surveys and really trying to understand how they can meet their people where they are. So the, the first thing that occurs to me is when, when I hear the words de-escalation and personal and emotional, you know, safety and security, that doesn't take me to, you know, having coffee in a restaurant or having a meal in a restaurant and thinking about that environment. That takes me to some sort of, you know, like hostage, you know, <laughs> aggression, you know, situation like that, which, you know, it, it's kind of breathtaking to have a conversation um, today, December 2021, where we're talking about the hospitality industry and restaurants where employees need to be trained and protected from those mm -hmm. situations. It's kind of a very sobering and really unfortunate, uh, you know, service that you're offering and that employers are asking for and that employees are asking for. When we talk about, oh, is this going to be the moment where we come together as a world or we come together as a community and we, you know, you know, work together and take care of each other. If, you know, the second most popular training involves de-escalation and physical safety for your staff, that is really, um, I think that says something. I think that says something that's very sobering, um, that's important and is also, you know, really disheartening really disheartening and disappointing in, in a, in a fundamental kind of way. Like, can't we all be better than that? You know, I don't you want know, my barista I, to have to take some de-escalation training <laughs> because they're worried about their, their physical safety when they're at work. I don't agree. I, th I feel like this huge, this like glimmer of hope. Employers oh, interesting. Care, so, right. Like okay. employers are actually saying we're going to take action. We're going to make sure we, we are an employer of choice and one that ensures that our team is prepared and protected. And it doesn't mean that the customer is evil. And it also doesn't mean that the employer is evil for making sure that this training is in place. But now we finally have the tools and the wherewithal to provide preventative training. 
So I think that's what's really important about all of this is it might seem sobering at first to think about it, but this wasn't happening <laughs> for decades. It just part, wasn't happening Which, at which all, part wasn't you know? happening? <laughs> None of this anti-harassment training was happening. Like, it just wasn't front and center. And now we're finally seeing that employers are placing much more importance on this training. We're talking to employers who their entire initiative for 2022 is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that includes great training that your entire team has access to. Not only because, you know, they can use the same technology, but because it's translated into multiple languages. So I understand why it feels really unsettling, but I don't see it that way. I think it's a really powerful message that says, you know, we want to make sure that our, um, our entire work environment is safe, not only physically, but psychologically for our team. Because when you have a safe and happy team, it means they learn better, they stay better engaged, they show up on time, they stay and they grow with you. You know, it's it's such like a for me, it's just such a powerful statement to to see and to hear employers saying, no, this is a priority for us. This isn't just check the box anymore. So in in times past, perhaps employees and and workers didn't have quite as much choice and people perhaps stayed in jobs that they didn't like. And now certainly there is a great deal of choice. So people will let employers know this is not a good situation because they leave or they Mm -hmm. won't answer the want ad. Mm -hmm. But I think Opus goes then one step further because it's not simply a conduit where you're pushing out information. Information comes back also. So is the Mm -hmm. sort of tech platform of accessibility, not just in terms of allowing employees and workers to get information, but then it also creates an opportunity for them to be answering, commenting, and sharing their thoughts as well, which is, is this where people are finding out how happy or unhappy people are, the things that they want, or things that are good, bad, or otherwise? Yeah. And I think one of the most interesting um, components of the product that we have you know, of course, we do surveys and all these really interesting things that employers can do to, to kind of check in with their people. But we've actually built an experience specifically for managers, one where they can send video messages to their team and get read receipts on those messages. Mm. That's a really powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has ever worked in a kitchen <laughs> or in a dining room, you know, you can't just get messages from corporate there's a lot of communication happening on the floor and oftentimes it gets lost on pieces of paper and emails that no one reads. So for the first time, well, and 75% of the people don't have an active email. So (laughs) like 75% of the people aren't even going to get it and and make the choice not to read it. (laughs) Right. And now a GM can use the app to create a quick kind of selfie, you know, TikTok size selfie video. Hey, uh, new wine today, or hey, we had a dish change. We're using purple carrots instead of orange carrots, you know, what have you. Um, they have a visual associated with it. You know, the team, you know, we have a multi-generational workforce. Videos um, are really effective, but then a GM can actually get um, data on that video. So in addition to... Um, 
you know, just being able to ship it out. It's kind of a, a like bi-directional data where employees are getting that information in any language. It's auto-captioned, it's, it's auto-translated. It's just like a beautifully inclusive experience, but the GM can say, okay, cool. Like 98% of my people read this. Oh, here's the two who didn't read it. You know, I need to check in with them. That's great. Is there any, what was the, what was the biggest surprise? Is there something that surprised you, something just unusual or specific? I mean, I know you have, um, you know, certainly, um, uh, you know, you work confidentially or privately, you know, with your, with your clients. So, I mean, sometimes you may or may not be at liberty to share, but is there something that was really surprised you um, that somebody asked for that you saw or that was a trend that you maybe didn't see coming or it's just very specific or obscure? Um, I think every day, and I don't mean to sound really trite, (laughs) like every day is always, if you want to frame it that way, a surprise, but I think we've really built a company that, um, spends a lot of time listening. And so nothing ever really comes as a surprise. It always comes as a learning experience when an employer comes to us and says, um, you know, uh, we had a delivery driver walk through the kitchen and nobody checked them in. So we were able to create a five minute lesson for everyone in the kitchen to make sure that they kind of understood our protocol. Um, that's the stuff that really just makes me so excited about what we're, we're building and what we've built is that, um, we're actually solving the problem. <laughs> and I, I <laughs> it's so it's not, and it's not surprising because we've spent a lot of time investing in this particular workforce and technology for it. But, you know, the, the ways, the old ways are gone. People are, are, uh, who are, you know, just so frantic and working eight hours a week and just tired as all hell are finally able to, to kind of get the technology they need in order to effectively, um, you know, engage and train their workforce. So every day we're kind of watching how employers use the platform in order to engage their team. And we're constantly learning from them so that we can build a better product. Well, I don't know if the old ways are definitively gone. I I do think that there are certainly some people, um, not just in the restaurant industry, in life, in the world who are are hanging on to the old ways or wanting to go back Mm -hmm. to the old ways or really hoping, you know, hoping that they can go back to the old ways um, just because I think there's some sort of comfort in that in, in some respects and just sort of, this is the way we do things. Um, but in terms of the old ways being gone and new ways being here really quickly, last thing um, before we close out the show, um, what are you looking forward to in 2022? Do you have a, a prediction or a thing that you think is going to come online or what, it, what's, what's your top trend for 2022 or I mean, we'll have you back later in the year. Maybe you can tell us all about it. But um, what what what's your what's your top line for twenty twenty two? Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I think. But what I don't we're have data. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're going to see a lot more. Empo- I mean, continue to see employers really empowered with um, to to make decisions that help them take back their data and. Um, you know, there's like a lot of interesting platforms right now. I can think of, you know, Bicky is doing really interesting stuff to kind of help employers, um, engage, uh, with, uh, their customers and, and make a, a new customer from a third party delivery app into a repeat customer on a first party delivery. So I think it's, 
um, we're seeing a lot more, I think we're going to see a lot more employers really um, empowered by the technology that's being created specifically for them. And of course, you know, with Opus, we're, we're bullish on that thesis. Okay. So more tech, more tech um, oh, yeah. <laughs> delivery. Um, Bikki, uh, B-I-K-K-Y, that company? Yeah. 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 We've had the founder on. Office with yeah. um, we've had the founder on way, way long time ago. Um, she's fantastic. Um, she and her husband started the company. She has a company mm-hmm. called um, Food to Eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deep Tea Sharma. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and delivery. We love to talk about delivery on Tech Bike. <laughs> we did a three part episode about delivery. delivery. We're going to be. Yeah, we're going to do more delivery. Um, you know, it's not the people in the training. What I'm most interested in right now, if, if people are listening, is the last mile. You know, there's so many permutations of the, the delivery of delivery in terms of ordering platforms, how you can order, how restaurants can bring that ordering back in house and take it away from a third party vendor and, you know, those types of things. So the software, the data, the ordering, but nobody has really innovated or or disrupted the last mile, the last mile delivery, the person in the car mm-hmm. or on the bicycle um, that is bringing you, that is bringing the food from your, from the restaurant or the shop to your door. The only innovation there is robots, which we love also robots and drones. So non-human. Um, but on the human side, nobody's, nobody's done any innovations and it's fascinating to me. And it's something that we keep talking about on this show because People are so voraciously interested in where their food comes from and who makes it and the farmers and the land and the earth and the water and the chemicals and organic and fair trade and, you know, all those types of things. Um, That veracity seems to end at the last mile, which is interesting to me. So more to come on that in 2022. Our episode next week on Tech Bytes will be the last episode of the year. We will be taking a look at 2022 um, and seeing what we can maybe predict or trend or see for the future. I want to thank Rachel Nemeth, CEO, co-founder of Opus Training. If you want to check them out, it is opus.so. That's O-P-U-S. A lot of interesting information. Um, And you do have some free content modules also to sort of help people along a little bit, um, which is great. If you want to listen to her on Tech Bytes, you can check out episode 191, episode 207, and the big food question in December of 2020. Um, our Heritage Radio Network holiday auction is over, but there is still time for you to make a donation in 2021, become a monthly donor, get into our secret menu. It'll help us make more radio and stay on the air in 2022. I want to thank all our listeners for checking in, stopping by, all of our sponsors for supporting the show, the Stafford Heritage Radio Network for just keeping things up and running, which is no easy task in this day and age. I am Jennifer Leitze, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.